For what do I have if I don't have you, Jesus? What in this life could mean anymore? You are my rock. You are my glory. Hi, and welcome to The Rock Podcast. Though sometimes overlooked, the announcement of Christmas comes early in the Bible. In today's message, we go back to the opening chapters of Genesis, which tell us of our great need for a Savior and foretell the coming of Christ into the world through the womb of a virgin. Now let's join Pastor Ross with a message entitled, Christmas in Eden. Alrighty, let's get started. All right, turn with me to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. We're taking a break for a couple Wednesday nights before Christmas from 2 Kings to something a little bit more Christmas-themed. All right, so Genesis 3 is where it all begins. So put your finger there. We'll eventually get there. We'll be getting down to verse 15. Now, here we are a few weeks uh, out from Christmas. There are 21 more shopping days left, in case you are wondering. 22 if you skip church tonight and uh, are out shopping instead. (laughs) Uh, But you're not. Here you are. Now, Christmas is announced very early on in the Bible, though it's not always recognized Uh, It's there as plain as day in the opening chapters, which we're going to see tonight. Uh, Now, it makes sense that we should see the foundation of Christmas in a book called Genesis, because Genesis means, of course, origins or beginnings. It's the beginnings of the heaven and the earth, and plant and animal and human life uh, is talked about for the very first time and how it all got started. All races, all nations... All languages have their start in Genesis. Uh, The first mention of agriculture and music and marriage and family. And of course, the origins of redemption, the foundation of the gospel. Uh, Really, the first mention of sin, of death, sacrifice, and prophecies of a savior. Uh, Really, here in Genesis, and especially in chapter 3, you have the need for Christmas, We find out in chapters 1 and 2 that everything is just wonderful. God looks around at his beautiful paradise, this beautiful earth, and he says, it's very good. But by the time chapter 4 uh, gets here, we've got the first murder. We've got bloodshed, blood spilled to the ground on, uh, in paradise. Uh, well, what happened? Genesis 3 tells us about the fall and explains how something like the first murder could happen in chapter four. Uh, Really, Genesis chapter three that we're gonna take a look at, the first 15 verses, as I mentioned, uh, explains what happened, uh, the fall, and the rest of the Bible really is about how God is fixing that. So uh, how we got into a very big mess, Genesis three relates it all fascinating details, very mysterious in some ways, talking about deception, temptation, sin, and the horrifying consequences of turning our backs uh, on God. And and what's intriguing to me about Genesis 3 is you're going to see this big cycle happening of temptation and sin and death and consequences and uh, hope of redemption. And that's happening still 6,000 years later. Even today, we'll recognize some of the things we're talking about in our very lives. And so Genesis 3, as we'll see tonight, puts the joy in the Christmas carols and and, uh, tells you why we want to light up the world and give presents to one another. It's the reason the world uh, rejoices at Christmas time. Uh, Let's pray together and we'll dig in. Now, Heavenly Father, such a, such a vital portion of the living word of God tonight before us. And uh, it's very familiar. Lord, we know about it. 
Father, we just pray that the Holy Spirit would give us some fresh insights and some helpful uh, things, Lord, from your word. Speak to our hearts, Lord, and, and let it be in some ways like we're hearing about these things for the very first time. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's take verse one here. I'll put it on the screen for you. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Well, really entire books have been written uh, about this one verse and its many implications. Uh, but since we want to make it to verse 15 before Christmas time, that we'll just take a look at some of the major ideas here. If you're taking notes, number one would be a subtle deception. Subtle deception. So, first of all, we're told here about uh, this being the devil. Now, it doesn't come out and say it's the devil, but later the whole New Testament lets us know that this character is, in fact, none other than the devil. And first we see his MO, or his modus operandi. You know, I, what does that mean? It's a Latin phrase, which means the way you roll. You know, this is the way the devil rolls. And the first uh, obvious thing is that he's acting according to his first really most popular two names, uh, Satan and the devil. And so, uh, first of all, it's hard to talk about the devil these days because the devil's done a good job at making the world think it's one big joke. And so that's part of his scheme is to make people not believe that he really exists. And so bingo there. Uh, but we are believers and we know that he does exist. And uh, we're going to talk about him because here he is doing uh, his thing. And so uh, the, his first uh, uh, name is Satan in the Hebrew, and it means adversary and enemy. So you see right away that he's opposing God and attacking man. And so he, he is the adversary. First Peter chapter 5 uh, warns us, be alert and sober-minded, your enemy. That's the word for him. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Now, you know, when I see little kids at Halloween dressed up like the devil, I always pull them aside and just give them a little lecture, <laughs> which I find amusing, but I, I would hope it would be helpful. I just let them know, hey, you know what? Why are you dressed up like the devil? The devil hates you and wants to kill you. He's your, he's your, he's your enemy. He's your enemy. Hey, you laugh, but one kid is going to give his testimony in heaven. And he's going to say, one day I was eight years old, and this guy, this bald-headed weird guy, opened the door and go, why do you want to dress up like your enemy? And so I turned to the Lord. You wait and see. You'll see it. <laughs> I mean, that's not as bad as witnessing to the Easter Bunny at the mall, Santa Rosa Mall. I had to tell him right there. I grabbed the Easter Bunny, you know, the big Easter Bunny. And... And I, I just said, hey, listen. And the Easter Bunny stopped to talk to me. And I looked into the mesh eye. And I said, listen, it's not about you. <laughs> it's about Jesus. And I thought I heard like a little junior high girl like screaming for help. <laughs> okay, yeah, we, Satan, he's a real being. He's called the adversary. Uh, he attacks God's word. Uh, and God's character and God's authority. And now he's there attacking Eve. It lo doesn't look like an attack because he's always very subtle. And um, uh, he's attacking God because we are the object of God's great uh, affection. And the other uh, word for, uh, the, the, for Satan is devil. And that's the most popular uh, way to describe him. And it means slanderer, uh, making a false a spoken statement uh, um, damaging to a person's glasses, just in case I need them next time. Making a false spoken statement damaging to a person's reputation. And so that's exactly what you see happening. He's being the Satan and he's being the devil. Now there's a host of other names that describe kind of what he does. You know them, you know, Abaddon from the Hebrew, destroyer, Apollyon from the Greek, destroyer, uh, angel of light, because he's a deceiver, uh, beast, because he is one, uh, the deceiver, 
how he works. Uh, dragon, he's a monstrosity. Father of lies, murderer. It goes on and on. But we have him here. And uh, the word that I want to talk about is crafty. And now the devils come in disguise uh, behind the facade of a serpent. And the serpent is not a snake yet. The serpent is a creature precursor. Serpent is a, is a creature that we are unaware of, um, a creature that would uh, physically become a snake. Now, here's a slam to the devil categorizing him as a wild animal. Uh, uh, now, the serpent, speaking of the devil, because we're not talking about the creature, the creature's just kind of indirectly involved here, uh, the facade. The serpent, the devil, was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God has made. And so the Holy Spirit is kind of taking a, a jab at Satan and just reminding of him of his great fall. He, he, he was like number two. There was God and there was Lucifer. Lucifer was like uh, the number one guy. He was a worship leader in heaven. He was, his, Lucifer means light bearer. And, and he was just, uh, he's gone from that. He left his first estate. And now he's compared to the wild beast because he's become a brute beast. And anyone who follows him leaves, falls from the height of being a majestic, dominion-given, uh, heir to all things, son of God, going from that position, following him, there's a fall from grace, a fall from dignity, and then a comparison to the wild animals. And so this is not any ordinary creature now engaging with Eve. The Holy Spirit is saying, uh, this is somebody with some wisdom. Let me, I'm going to take some time here, Ezekiel, uh, and we'll read through the passage as it's projected here. Son of man, take up a lament concerning the king of Tyre. Now, in scriptures, prophetically, you can have uh, God speaking about a physical reality, but it is prophetic, all right? So this is about a king of Tyre, but it's really prophetic about the devil. This is what the Lord says. You are the model of perfection, full of wisdom. Now, he's crafty, right? That's The word crafty means full of wisdom, shrewd, Okay full of wisdom, and perfect in beauty. No wonder she's engaged with him. You were in Eden. Ah, there he is. The garden of God. Every precious stone adorned you. Though so he was quite an attractive character in Eden, full of wisdom, crafty. There he is. Ruby, topaz, emerald, chrysolite, onyx, jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and beryl. Your settings and mountings were made of gold. On the day you were created, they were prepared. You were anointed as the guardian cherub. I mean, that's a big deal. For so, I ordained you. You were on the holy mount of God. You walked among the fiery stones, whatever that means. I mean, can you imagine what that means? You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till wickedness was found in you. Nobody knows how. Why? How did it happen? We'll probably know when we see him because we will know as we are fully known. Through your widespread trade, you were filled with violence and you sinned. So I drove you in disgrace from the mount of God and I expelled you, O guardian cherub. From among the fiery stones, your heart became proud on account of your beauty and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. So I threw you to earth. I made a spectacle of you before kings. By your many sins and dishonest trade, you have desecrated your sanctuary, so I made a fire come out from you, and it consumed you. And I reduced you to ashes on the ground in the sight of all who were watching. That's coming. That's coming after the great tribulation and after the thousand-year reign. All the nations who knew you are appalled at you, you have come to a horrible end and will be no more. So that is who we're talking about here. I've got a little chart that you might have seen in your high school science uh, classroom. Um, this verse reverses 
the scientific notion that man starts at the bottom and has been working his way top. What, what the Bible teaches is, is that uh, Lucifer and man started at the top and have fallen all the way to the bottom. So it's the truth of the matter is just opposite and just turn it around. Uh, he's, he's shrewd and he's in the garden and thank you for that reminder there. And anybody who listens to this guy turns into a beast just like he is. And so uh, uh, beasts are driven by their natural appetites and passions and moral, without moral considerations. And, and that's why he's compared to animals. So Eve speaks to this dazzling serpent. She thinks it's a serpent, but behind the serpent is emanating uh, this uh, this devil, right? So uh, nothing strange because creatures, angelic beings were in the garden. He was in the garden. And so she's not uh, put off by a speaking serpent, not in the kind of way that we would imagine, right? Now, there are cherubim, there are seraphim, there are living creatures before the throne that look like animals. So to hear that a serpent is speaking, which the world ridicules, is not theologically unsound because there are angelic beings that resemble eagles and lions and the face of a man. And all of these things, you, you can check them out. Seraphim with their wings and their eyes and the cherubim uh, besides the, beside the throne and the four living creatures, even... Um, resembling an ox. And so they speak, they cry out, holy, holy, holy. So, so the serpent in the garden, charged by the powers of Lucifer, that it's speaking to her, whether, it, I like what David Guzik said, perhaps Satan made the voice supernaturally come from the serpent, or perhaps he speaks to her thoughts. Uh, what Satan said, however, uh, is more important than how he said it. So everybody gets tripped up, oh, talking snake. You know what? On that day, you're going to be disappointed that you forfeited the grace that could be yours because there was something that was hard to understand or believe in the word of God. And I'm speaking to an unbeliever there. Uh, so for Eve, nothing off-putting, you know, talking to this so uh, serpent. Now, the first question in the Bible, and believe me, we do pick up, and we'll go back to the verse here. Um, the first question, this is the very first question in the Bible. Can you put the, the verse back up for me? Thank you. It's the beginning of the unraveling of the human race as we know it or knew it, okay? Uh, here's what he's saying. Hey, Eve. It's my understanding that God, and first of all, he's using Elohim instead of Yahweh. Yahweh is the Lord's covenant name. And he wants to put a little distance between the specific name of Lord and the general name God. And you'll find that that happens today. People are very comfortable with saying they believe in God and God this and God that, right? But Jesus and Lord... <laughs> Is another thing. So Satan is starting a little distance, Eve. Hey, listen, it's just my understanding that Elohim, you know, God, uh, is not letting you guys eat uh, from any of the trees in the garden. Wow, seriously? <laughs> really? I mean, please help me. Please help me understand because I just don't get this, okay? I'm just a poor, misguided serpent wanting to know the truth, okay? Honest, Eve. This isn't an attack because I know you wouldn't talk to me if I just walked up and said, hey, I'm the enemy. I hate God. I hate you, you know? And, and I want to malign him. I want to get you to break some commandments so that you really die, no, you won't talk to me if I just come straight forward at you. But how about if I'm just a, somebody who's seeking? I, I, just, I just need to be uh, helped along. Now, one commentator said this, and he's probably not married, um, but he said, or anymore, after he wrote this. But he said, Eve, Eve will be more willing to engage with the serpent if she sees a chance to correct someone. I did not write it. 
I, I can give you the name and email address of where I got it from. So, yeah, so she's thinking, okay, here's another temptation. You know, I'm going to set this serpent straight, okay, because he just needs more information. Did God really say, listen, contemporary uh, uh, abandoning of the faith is now 6,000 years later, and the, the crux of it is, does the Bible really say? Does the Bible, has God really said does the Bible really say that Jesus is the only way and that everybody's going to go to this hell? Does he really say that you, you are cast into a lake of fire and are tormented just for rejecting Jesus Christ? Does the Bible really say that it's only a man and only a woman? Does God really say that a really good Muslim can't be saved? Can we really know what the Bible really says that's emergent? Church Theology 1A, right there. We can't really know what the scriptures say. So uh, one writer said, once you accept the notion that scripture can mean something other than what it clearly says, the lethal and devastating consequences are endless. Endless possibilities, because you can just opt out of anything you want because it's not really what it says. So the door's open. Eve uh, is going to come now to the poor serpent's rescue and help him to see the light. Okay, verses two through five. The woman says to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden. You must not touch it or you're going to die. You'll not surely die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes are going to be open and you can be like God, knowing good and evil. All right, so subtle, we'll leave that up there. Subtle gives way to bold-faced lies. So it's a big mistake, as we're going to see, to reason with evil. Now, the New Testament tells us in First and Second Timothy all about avoid stupid arguments, do not engage with foolish false teachers, uh, uh, watch out for vain and idle babbling and divisive foolish talk. We're told to disengage, right? So Eve should have disengaged right away. When the first hint of the maligning of God's character or the... Uh, uh, the uh, the assault on God's word and his authority, she just should have run out of there uh, screaming. Uh, we're not supposed to engage. So uh, it's a big mistake. When, whenever you, in your own mind, from your own sinful heart, or somebody else, is, is, is monkeying around with the meaning of the Bible or the definition of the gospel or the character of God, it's time to quote the word of God and, and stand your ground. It's not a time for you to reason and say, well, let's dialogue about this and let's talk because you're going to see she's, she's going to lose her footing here. It's going to throw her off balance completely. Um, when evil comes calling, there are three things to do. When you start to get those thoughts, number one, you quote the scriptures. Matthew 4, Jesus and Satan square off and he's tempting him like crazy. And Jesus says, Number one, Deuteronomy 8.3. Then he comes at him again. And Jesus doesn't say a word outside of Deuteronomy 6.16. Comes at him again. And he says, Deuteronomy 6.13. Not a word outside of quoting the scripture and standing on it. That's what you do. That's what you do to yourself. You have to evangelize your own wayward heart. Who else is going to do it? The Holy Spirit's going to help you. At number two, uh, uh, the, Lord, the Lord rebukes you. If you're going to say anything, you say out loud, the Lord rebuke you. Um, that's Jude verse nine. And then James says in James chapter four, verse seven, uh, submit yourself first to God, submit to God, and then resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. But she doesn't do that. She's going to engage. And you can see right here, uh, just watch closely and watch her lose her balance. It's, it's really sad. Uh, Warren Wearsby on this verse. Eve's reply shows she's following Satan's example and begins to alter the word of God. If you compare her rendition to the actual text 
in chapter 2, 16 through 17, you'll see that she's, she's omitting important words like God gave freely and included any tree. She speaks of the probability of death rather than the stated certainty of death. We find her subtracting from the word and adding to it and changing it. Serious offenses indeed. Clearly she was beginning to doubt God's goodness and truthfulness. So what do you have here? It's not really evident, but she's playing around. She's excited. Let's talk about God behind his back. Let's start thinking about the possibilities of me being in the driver's seat, you know? And you could just see just ever so slightly, she's just losing her balance and she's ready to be pushed off, but she wants to be. We're always like that. It's not like the devil can force that fruit down her throat. She's gonna have to go along with a little bit about that. So here's the conversation that ensues. Uh, Satan's all, uh, Eve, are you willing to uh, discuss the one restriction, the, w- the one thing you can't do, uh, that little irritating prohibition? Do you, uh, can, we, can we bring that up here? Yes, we can. Satan says, let's do this. Let's talk about that tree. Uh, so, of course, there's a tree. There's a no-fly zone around the, the tree in the middle. She, she leaves out the name for whatever reason. And uh, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God says, don't go, don't. Eat of it, because you eat of it, you're going to die. Now, uh, it, that way, of course there had to be a tree there. Of course there had to be a, a zone, a no-fly zone. Of course, uh, the paradox of freedom is that, as one David Atkinson wrote, one commentator, he said, we also notice that there's one negative command given them. It's said in the context of divine care and provision. It's not harsh restrictions, but rather a symbol of the fact that crossing the God-given limits diminishes rather than enhances human well-being. It gives a boundary within which there is freedom. When somebody is free to do anything that they want with no moral boundaries, and they say, I'm free to do anything, they're slaves. They can't tell themselves no, and they have to sin. Right? It's the person with boundaries, with self-control that can say no, that is free. That is uh, the truth that the Bible teaches. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil was necessary as are God's restrictions today. He says, you know, you don't want to play out in the freeway. You really don't. I, it's not that I'm a killjoy or I have a thing about cars, you know, and... Uh, I just don't want you to wind up underneath one. Um, The other thing that restrictions say uh, is that he's saying, I'm God, you're not. You're not responsible for getting yourself here. You're here because I created you and I have boundaries and you will choose. You will honor and obey me because I'm God and I give you your life. So there has to be choice and there has to be choice with love. It's not really, uh, uh, you're not really loving somebody if there's a gun to your head. You have to choose. There has to be a choice. Of course there had to be a tree there uh, that God says uh, stay away from so they can exercise their free will, so that they can show their love and and reverence for God. Of course, and so Satan moves in uh, for the kill. Uh, the first question was the meaning, to question the meaning and the intent of God's word. And next, then he denies the consequences of re- rebellion and sin. So all he wants to do is highlight the, the thrill and the excitement and the pleasure of sin. And the Bible does acknowledge in Hebrews chapter 11 uh, and verse 25 that sin is pleasurable for a season. That's why we want to do it. So it is pleasurable, but it's temporary always. All right, so he wants to say, here's the gain, here's the thrill, here's the excitement, but he always denies the consequences. You're not gonna die. You're not gonna crash the car drunk into somebody else. You're not gonna catch a disease. You're not gonna get pregnant. You're not gonna get caught. You're not gonna lose your job. You're not gonna go to jail. On a guy at Azure Acres, a rehab center, 
Just called the church and said, could a pastor just come down and talk to me? And I did. Sat on the edge of his bed. If only I could have seen the consequences. My wife and the two, the wife and the two blonde toehead girls framed next to his little bed. Gone. If only I could have seen the consequences. You're not gonna die? Eve, are you kidding me? Do it. You're free, man. And even if you do get caught, he's so merciful. OMG, you'll be fine. You don't believe he could say OMG? I think he could. All right. All right, moving on. I know whenever it's quiet like this, I just know what's happening. You're all thinking. You're all thinking, and I'm stepping on all your toes. That's, that's all right. But the Holy Spirit is doing it, right? He's stepping on my toes as well. Uh, second of all, first of all, you're not going to die. That's a lie. Second of all, he's trying to keep something from you. He's trying to keep a good woman down. You're his little slave. All right? Uh, you're missing out. All your other friends, well, there are no friends yet, but <laughs> all your other friends, <laughs> if you had any, they're doing it. They're getting away with it. You're just, you're, just, you're just missing out. Satan wants us to see sin as something good that a bad God doesn't want us to have. His main line to us is sin is not bad and God is not good. So that's what he's saying. He's saying, uh, you know, there's not room. God, God knows that if you do this, you're going to be like him. And he, that's the last thing God wants. You could be like him, but there's no room in his heaven for two gods. He wants to monopolize the God thing. All right? And so now, you know, that's the very thing that got him in trouble, Right? He wanted to be God and above God, right? So now he's passing this on to her, and, and that's what he wants to do. Come on, man. You know, he sings a song, and his song is, you need to uh, rise up and be like God. You need to do your own thing, and he's got this song. Let me read a couple verses of the song. It's very popular now, and all your kids know it. But he's actually teaching it to Eve. And here's, here's the lyrics. Let it go, Eve. Let it go. Can't hold it back anymore. Come on, you know you want to. Uh, let it go, let it go. Turn away and slam the door. And now I'm quoting from the most popular song that's ever been released in Disney history. One Mom boasted that her daughter sang it 700 times. It's broken every record, and here's the lyrics. Let it go, let it go. It's time to see what I can do to test the limits and break through. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. Sing it with me, Eve. No right, no wrong. No rules for me. I'm free again. And now you teach it to your boys because one of them is going to buy into that song. You know what the number one song at unbelievers' funerals is? Number one by far, My Way from Frank Sinatra. You need to read those words because it's unbelievable. <laughs> my way, I did it my way. Wow. All right, moving on. Verses 8. Did I say Merry Christmas yet? <laughs> Is this verse 8? Did you get that yet? Hold on. Verse 6. What do you know? When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized that they were naked 
as a jaybird. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Okay, so we've gone from subtle deception uh, to bold-faced lies, and now sin enters the world. Now, her, the temptation really follows the pattern given in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 16. Um, the tragic fall really follows the structure every time. There's the lust of the fleshly appetites, right? So it's good for food, it looks yummy. Pleasant to look at the lust of the eyes, John writes, and to gain wisdom, uh, the pride of life. You know, I'm getting somewhere, I'm advancing, you know, and so that's the pattern, watch out for it. So Adam, by the way, is gonna bear the responsibility for the fall of man. Now, why is that? Because he's the head. And he ate with eyes wide open, knowing exactly what was happening. So some commentators say, you know, he probably did that because he felt sorry for his wife. He has a husbandly, uh, uh, a husbandly uh, interest in, she's crying, she's sobbing, look what I did. Come on, I mean, are you, you going to leave me here like this? I'm like, so he ate. Whatever it was, you know, uh, one writer said, uh, listen, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll summarize what, what he said. He said, um, whether it's a romantic thing or not, there's no excuse for sinning. People come up with all kinds of, well, you know, I, I wasn't making enough money or uh, my, my parents or this or that or the other thing. Um, Satan and the flesh will present a thousand reasons to show how good it would be to disobey his commands. You know, it just doesn't matter what, what your reasoning is to do it, right? The guy hit on my wife, so I killed him. You know, that's, that's not good, is it? Okay, moving on. <laughs> Maybe I should have gone Christmas shopping tonight. <laughs> I still can. The mall's open. All right. The consequences begin here. Uh, they realize that they're naked. All right, well, what does that mean? Well, let me explain that to you. Uh, we were made in the image and likeness of God. And in Psalm 104, verse two, it says that God wraps himself in light like a garment. And so commentators believe that Adam and Eve were really spirit-generated beings. They were eternal, right? They were clothed in light. And when they disconnected from the source of light and life, the light went out and their physical bodies were prominent. So it was the light going out, the glorious light of God, of eternal uh, life, just losing life and dying spiritually is what happened. Um, you know, the glory of a peacock, they're beautiful when they're fully clothed, right? I mean, that, that's something else, folks. That's quite a garment. But if you take that garment off and you pluck that bird, that's nasty. Now, which way to the nearest retail outlet? Yeah, why? Because I've got to buy me some feathers. Is that, can that be the same beautiful bird? That's exactly what happened. You should see the... Oh, Jesus Christ, our Lord, was transfigured. He's shown like the brilliance of 10,000 sons. Peter, James, and John saw that. And we are made in that likeness, and that was our original and our future. Matthew 25. And the righteous shall go forth into eternal life, shining like the brilliance of the sun. That's what happened. They were shining. And the light went out, and away they, they were, you know, in a whole bit of trouble. You can put the verse back on. Yeah, shock and shame, it's man's first uh, and continual instinct to cover the shame and the guilt to try to fix it. Let me try to fix it, so I'm going to go get some leaves. You know, fig leaves are kind of scratchy, too. You know, that was a bad choice. <laughs> that was just not good, but, you know, uh, tree leaves aren't going to atone. Uh, the word atone means to cover you know, you're not going to fix it with fig leaves of religion or uh, beautiful clothing or expensive clothing 
or um, pretending nothing is wrong or doing good deeds or being religious. Those are all ways that we try to cover uh, up the fact that something is missing and we need to cover that up. Now, uh, the need for Christmas begins. So here you have it. Eve's uh, deceived. She sins. Adam rebels with her. The light is of life is extinguished and their spiritual death. Uh, they realize that there's uh, guilt and shame in them and they understand that they need a covering. And more than that, the light's gone out, right? The eternal spirit, they're disconnected from God. They're estranged. So they, you know, in short, to quote the commercial, they've fallen and they can't get up, all right? Eight, verses 8 through 13. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he's walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man. You'll notice Lord, 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 you know, is being used. L-O-R-D is Yahweh, always, not Elohim, not the general word for God. So the covenant-making Yahweh, Lord God, Jehovah, called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. And he said, that's how you say it in some parts of the country. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I... Look, he has to beat it out of him, essentially. Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And he says, the man says, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some of the fruit of the tree, and, and I ate it. All right? <laughs> then the Lord God says to the woman, what is this you've done? And she says, well, the devil, the serpent deceived me. And yes, if you force me to say it, I ate. All right, so let's talk about this. Excuses, excuses. So we'll go back and we'll kind of walk through it. Uh, you may get to live your way, but in the end, you'll do things his way. So Romans uh, chapter uh, 14 and verse 17 says, so then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. And so God comes calling as he always does, and he has to initiate. And so what he's going to try to do is bring these two fallen souls back into right relationship with himself. And it's an arduous task. Uh, the Holy Spirit is, is seen in, in John chapter uh, 16. He's the one who comes alongside and he has to convict us of our sin and make us understand how to be right with God and of the coming judgment, or we won't do anything. He initiates everything. And so verse eight, there's an implication that on a regular basis that the Lord, Jesus Christ, before his incarnation, would walk with them in the garden. And how do we know it's Jesus? Because the Father, no man has ever seen the Father. John chapter one and verse 18 says, no one has ever seen God the Father at any time. The only begotten Son has made him known. And so uh, the deity that has legs that we know of is Jesus. So Jesus is walking with them in fellowship. And the, now the Holy Spirit is going to try to move these guys into uh, redemption, all right? And so um, sometimes it's a little work, like I said. And you can see what kind of work God is up against here. Uh, he wants an honest answer. He needs an accurate assessment. Where are you at? Well, just tell me, you know, where are you at? He could have just told the whole thing right there. I sinned. That would have been really cut out a lot of words, you know. But no, God has to beat it out of us, you know. I need you to have an honest assessment of how far you've drifted of the severity and the gravity of your sin, your helplessness, your shame, your guilt. I need it all so I can fix it. So he has to start because they're hiding and he's always the initiator and he comes after us. It's not that we first loved God, but he loved us and sent his son to be an atoning sacrifice for us, 1 John 4.10. He comes calling What'd you do? Where are you? Tell me, tell me about it. So the truth is going to take some time here. Uh, repentance and re regret and remorse take a little humility. And so it's going to be a little while. Uh, so he says, okay, first thing, oh, we heard you. And we're afraid, okay? We're not properly dressed for a visit right now. Uh, PG&E apparently had an outage, <laughs> okay? Uh, feeling a little embarrassed and we're afraid. 
Uh, so he says, okay, Adam, listen, uh, since you're not coming forth with the story, uh, you're going to tell me how the lights went out? Just tell me the story. Uh, is it so hard to say, uh, Father, uh, I have sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, Luke chapter 15, prodigal son. Is it really that hard? It is. It is. It's really hard. Yes or no? He point blanks them. Yes or no? Did you eat from the tree that I commanded you not to eat? A simple yes or no would have done. But, okay, get ready for Adam's response. Here it comes. Okay, now, first of all, let's talk about the whole woman thing. All right, God? Whose idea was that? Was that mine? No, it wasn't mine. The last thing I remember, God, is, is that I was, you were bringing the animals by, and I was naming all of them. We were having a good old time. I was saying chimpanzee. I was saying giraffe. I was saying elephant. The next thing, I started feeling really sleepy, okay? And, yeah, you know, God, I, you put me to sleep. And what? I, next thing I know, I wake up, and I've got an ache in my side. I wake up in the recovery room, okay? I've had surgery. Did I want the surgery? No. You operated on me, you yank out one of my ribs, and you bring me, ah, the woman, all right? So, number one, let's get it straight. It's your idea, your idea. You gave her to me, and she brought the fruit to me. And yes, yeah, so if you beat it out of me, yeah, eventually I'll have to say, yeah, me, yeah, I ate, kind of, sort, okay. <laughs> Proverbs 19 and verse three. A person's own folly destroys his life and yet his heart rages against the Lord. My parents abused me, okay? I've been, I've been done wrong, okay? I was born this way. Uh, the devil made me do it. I didn't know, okay? I didn't read it. I didn't read the, uh, the whole thing. I signed, you signed it. Yeah, I know, but I didn't read it all. Uh, I just, you know, I just assumed. Well, I didn't really mean for it to happen. They started it, and what have you. The list goes on. The question will be to you, did you yes or no? And you will say yes or no. There'll be none of this. Unbelievable. Uh, one writer, the fastest and easiest way up after a nasty bout with the devil and a devastating and shameful fall is to own the deed, turn to God, and humbly ask for mercy. The more excuses you have, the more time you'll spend in the rehab process, and the rehab process can be very painful. Amen? Just get to the bottom of what he's after. He's after a little tears, a little regret, a little remorse from the heart, right? And of taking full responsibility of it. Oh my gosh, this is, this is going to go on for a while. And Eve's account, she does slightly better, but not much. You know, he, he says, what, if, what is it that you've done? Just give it, straight, give it to me straight, Eve. And she says, okay, let's talk first about the devil, who apparently you created. You know, she doesn't say that, but you know, he's such a smooth talker. He's a tricky guy. He laid it on thick, God, okay, I don't see it coming. Okay, and so yeah, I ate. But really, he made me, sort of. So, yeah, the need for a savior, Christmas tidings are growing by the verse. So, so what do we have here? Number one, the devil's victorious, getting uh, the humans to rebel against God, to break faith, to forfeit dominion of the earth, to lose eternal life. Two, man realizes spiritual life is gone. He's brought death and uh, chaos to the human race. He's now vulnerable, afraid of God, estranged from the one who gives life. Three, he feels shame and guilt, a sense to be covered, forgiven, put right, which they try to do themselves and fail. Number four, instead of confessing sins, they seek to excuse it away. So here's the story. It's one of deception evil, sin, death, guilt, judgment, estrangement from God, hopelessness. And if you listen carefully, you're going to hear some Christmas carolers right now in the background as we read 14 and 15. 
So the Lord said to the serpent, because you've done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all the wild animals. You'll crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. So we've gone down the list here and number five and lastly then is the announcement of Christmas. Finally, some good news. And in fact, verse 15 is called in Latin by theologians, the proto-evangelium. And that means in Latin, the first good news. Here's the gospel right here. Here's Christmas. It is, we sing Christmas songs that are exactly, will expound exactly what is being said here. The seed of the woman, King James has it. It's a word for word. King James is a word for word translation. And uh, he's got the word. The word is seed. And it doesn't make as much sense as offspring, but it really gives more of understanding. Uh, if you say the seed of the woman is going to be your conqueror, uh, essentially looks at the enemy and he says, you're a dead man um, or you're a dead devil because he's not a man. Okay, the jury's in. God's ready to hand down some judgments. And first he speaks to the enemy, uh, the devil. And here's where Christmas is going to come into play. So uh, he's speaking to Satan. He's not speaking to the creature. The creature is neither here nor there. He's speaking to the devil when he's talking here. And so what is he saying? Uh, He's saying, you're cursed, Satan, above all livestock and wild animals. Yet another blow to Satan's ego to say, hey, you've gone from, from, from chief cherub to lower than a barnyard pig. That's saying something. He's saying, you are lower than every brute beast, the goats and the pigs, and and really a serpent is going to to kind of uh, symbolize this judgment as low as a snake on its belly. And really what he's saying there is uh, he's saying he's defeated. Uh, They crawl on their belly, they eat dust, and that is the place of your defeat with me. And then secondly, he says, I'll put enmity between the humans and you. So this nice, friendly little chat that you had such easy access and she didn't see it coming, that's going to be done. You're not going to have that easy access anymore because I'm going to put in humans, her children, a natural repulsion of you. And so you're going to need to work a lot harder. It's not going to be impossible to deceive them, but they're going to like much the symbolic nature of a snake. You know, how many women do not like snakes here? Raise your hand. All right. So how many men, you also, you don't like things that slither? Yeah, right. So he's saying, I'm going to put an instinct in them that when they see a satanic pentagram, whatever they're called, when they hear about the satanic Bible, or if they see something demonic, or if they sense something evil, there's going to be something in them to protect them from you. It won't stop the ones who really want to go. But generally speaking, I'm going to intervene here and you'll always have to work. You'll always have to work harder because they're going to freak out about you. And I'm going to put that in their hearts. Now, in this day and age, we see that whittling away. (laughs) Uh, But God says he's going to do that. And then he says there's going to be enmity between your offspring, very interesting, and Hers, which is ultimately Christ. He's speaking of Christ. So what he's saying is that God's going to ferret out two kinds of people. Those who belong to you and those who belong to God. There are two kinds of people in the whole wide world from God's point of view, saved and lost. And he says, I'm going to divide the whole world now. And there'll be Christ followers who are children of God and there'll be followers of yours. And that's what he's saying there. Then some stinging poetic justice. He says, take a look at this woman. 
This woman who you, you, you kind of spiritually slaughtered. But it'll be through a woman like her. Here's the poetic justice and the sting. Through a woman, I will bring your conqueror. Through, through the one that you victimized, she will now turn around and just be your destroyer. From, from her womb will come the seed. The seed of the woman, not their child, not the seed of, of, of Joseph and Mary, the seed of the woman, the virgin birth, God himself coming through a womb to take care of and conquer uh, the evil one. Now, with the crushing of the devil's head comes the reversal of death, and for he held the power of it, and the forgiveness of sin, for he was the accuser of the brethren and the hope of eternal life. And so, but there's a cost, and we see that. He's going to destroy you, the conqueror, but you're going to wound him. There's a price. There's a cross. The spike goes through what? His heel. So there, <laughs> 6,000 years ago, and 4,000 years, 4,000 years before Christ, he's going to be nailed through the heel. But you will be destroyed by that death. Uh, John chapter 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word was with God, Jesus, and the Word was God, Jesus, because the Word then becomes flesh in verse 14 and dwells among us. So here's the prophecy of God becoming a human being through the womb of Mary, 28 generations from David, as he promised. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 9 says, In Christ, the fullness of the Godhead lives in a human body. In Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3, it says that Jesus is the radiance of God's glory and the exact, represent, exact representation of his being. The radiance of God's glory. In John 14, 9, when Philip says, show us God the Father, Jesus says, Philip, how long have I been with you? Still, you don't recognize me. Whoever's seen me has seen the Father, God. And so here's the prophecy right here in Genesis chapter 15 of God who's speaking, saying, I really am going to come through the womb of a woman and destroy you by taking on their sins so that I can clothe them back with the light and the glory and the life that they had. So that I can come and seek and save the lost. So that I can relight as the light of the world. Stepping down into darkness. I can relight those who come to me in faith. Who confess their sins and trust in me. I can relight the little pilot light there and give them life. That's called being born again. He comes to the repentant sinner who believes in Jesus Christ. And he reignites the spirit and, and, and brings your spirit into right relationship with his spirit and now you can never die because you're in Christ and Christ is in you. Amen. He has come at Christmas time with the goal to reconnect and to reconcile uh, God and man together. That's just a beautiful thing. The true light that gives light to everyone has come into the world he was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. Christmas right there. Now, I find it really, as I wrap up, I find it really remarkable that the thing that destroyed us was take this and eat it. And the thing that saves us is take this and eat it. And the tree, the tree of, of, of the knowledge of good and evil, now the tree of life in Jesus Christ, that Jesus dies on what is called the tree. He dies and hangs on the tree 
so that anyone who comes to him can eat now and reverse the poisonous venom of the sin and the death and the shame. It's just amazing. And he says, I am the bread of heaven, John chapter 6. Whoever eats of this bread will live forever. And then he's born where? In Bethlehem, the house of bread. And he's laid in a manger, which means the Greek word for manger is to feed on or to eat. Okay, so he's saying, take this work that I've done, Jesus Christ on the cross, the blood that I've shed, take this and ingest it and eat it and live by it. And you will reverse the curse because Christmas has come. He's appeared with the purpose to reconcile us to God. Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Genesis 3. We thank you for the hard truths and um, we pray for a spirit of humility to be able to accept them, Lord, to accept the offense so that we can humble ourselves before you and that you could work in our hearts and lives. We thank you. We praise you. In Christ's name, amen. Shall we stand for the closing song? You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvertherock.org.